Greetings, columnist. We uh, we are back again for our, the third installment of the Fifth Column podcast. Couldn't be more delighted to be with you here today. Uh, plenty going on today. Uh, plenty for us to talk about. I am here, as always, with my co-conspirators, uh, Matt Welch, editor-in-chief of Reason Magazine, and Michael Moynihan, columnist for The Daily Beast, as well as contributor at Vice News. Gentlemen, how the hell are you? We're doing well. It's great. Great. Your name is Camille Foster from Freethink Media. I was going to do that. I want want a little more enthusiasm. Don't mansplain to me. No, I'm white splaining. (laughs) That was was (laughs) like white splaining to you. That's good. Uh, Uh, We do have a surprise for you. Actually, it's probably not a surprise because it's going to be in the description. Uh, But we do have our first (laughs) ever guest. Uh, It's a gentleman by the name of Harry Seagal. Seagal. What? I'm going to pronounce it that why way. Are you, That's how I want to pronounce it. Why are you acting I am like going to say it that way, and if he wants to correct me, he can. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, he is a professional. senior editor for it's the Daily... Seagull. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I mean Seagull. Chicago calls me Harry. So I'll take <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've got Harry Siegel with us. Uh, he's a senior editor for the Daily Beast, uh, which would make him uh, a fellow collaborator of, uh, of Michael Moynihan's. Yeah. Uh, he's also a former columnist at the New York Daily News uh, and uh, we couldn't be more delighted to have him here. Uh, he is here because today we've got a great lineup for you. We're going to talk a little bit about this uh, Democratic debate, which apparently happened in Brooklyn. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, but thankfully, CNN had this beautiful graphic that said battle in Brooklyn and this very interesting, audacious music that just made it. Yeah, they're going to fight. And by the way, so why, talk do, why do you have Harry Siegel on? Because he's Mr. Brooklyn. Yeah. He well, uh, born and raised. And uh, and you'll you're about to find out that uh, no one is more New York than Harry Siegel. Yeah. So we'll talk about the debate. Uh, we'll talk about it. Just the best and worst moments from the debate. We'll also talk a little bit of New York politics, because I think there are a lot of important issues going on here uh, that have implications for the uh, for the rest of the country in the broader election. Uh, and then we're going to continue a conversation that we had last week and talk a bit more about the uh, the police and them shooting people. Apparently, there's a devastating new uh, task, port report, task force report that came out of Chicago uh, lambasting the entire police department for being totally and completely racist because they are overkilling black people. Overkilling. Over, like, is there's like like a that? normal level there's of a normal killing? Level. <laughs> there's there's there, perhaps. I, you know, is there ever a report that, know. you know, like we're underkilling <laughs> black people? I don't want to say that'll be taken out of context. You, it already already is being right. right now. So, uh, gentlemen, let us uh, let us jump directly into this conversation. Democratic debate. Uh, what are our thoughts? Best and worst moments of last night. I know what stood out to me. What, what stood out to you, Matt Welch? Uh, the shouting. Yeah, like uh, I never felt more Californian. I was there uh, at the Brooklyn uh, Navy Yard, which is a uh, uh, great, uh, uh, great venue. And uh, at some point, I was just scrambling for headphones. I this, the the nonstop shouting one side to the other. That there was a moment. I think it was the the minimum wage discussion, which we'll get into later, where they just like uh, just put the gloves down and started babbling in the air at the same time. And then there was. There was Wolf Blitzer. Also, it, it was like go, seeing an episode of Golden Girls where they're going all at the, the <laughs> bunch of old white people shouting at each other. Hey, shut up. You don't have to be so racist. That's really he's he, Wolf Blitzer is really the Estelle Getty of this election, <laughs> isn't he? What, what did you uh, what stood out to you? Um, Moynihan? I I am not as lily livered as Matt Welch. I'm not as wimpy as you are. This is what happened after uh, the debate. I saw the the sort of breakdown here with Anderson Cooper and then I see it online and I see it in columns this morning and everyone's saying the same thing it's you know it was a very angry debate what on earth do people expect this is a debate for the democratic nomination for the presidency and these are two people that actually have fundamental differences of opinion and it was very very nice to see the gloves come off and people actually i don't know why this is a complaint that people are getting angry at each other and shedding i think it's a good thing um, i don't mind the, i don't mind the, just uh, to be clear I, yeah. I i love getting angry at each other i love uh, bernie sanders uh, you know saying that uh, using the phrase super predators was racist. I love just getting into yeah. each other's faces. That's great. It's just the volume. My ears yeah, are very yeah, sensitive. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the debate last night, it, did, it, did it move anyone? Did it shift anyone's position? Unlikely. But, um, you know, it's essentially the same. Donald Trump said, um, I don't know, it was a couple months ago, he said, why do we keep doing these debates? <laughs> 
because he's like, you know, I'm doing great. I'm leading. I can only shoot myself in the foot. Why are we doing this? But the question was a decent one because essentially it's ad infinitum the same arguments over and over. We saw more of that last night. There's nothing that surprised me, though everybody was was uh, was praising the fact that uh, Bernie Sanders talked about uh, the Palestinians for the first time anyone had talked about the Palestinians in any any sort of expansive way in a presidential election. Okay, that is fine. Perhaps the only, you know, perhaps the only answer that he provided to any question where he did not talk about the banks. That's actually true. (laughs) It's actually true because (laughs) which is interesting. Yeah, the once the Palestinians get an enormous bank in Gaza City, (laughs) they're absolutely screwed, and he's going to hate them. Harry Siegel, what about you? I were you at the debate, Harry? No, being in a room with seven hundred journalists is uh, is is a joke. so 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 I did the uh, the grave digger thing and uh, and and watched it on the screen. But but look, you know, if you are there at the Navy Yards, you're right across the street from the Ingersoll houses, mm. uh, which are, are are not a very nice project. And you know, there, there was a real tale of two cities thing there that the, the candidates ignored. This was sort of a Brooklyn the brand moment with the two fake New Yorkers, the uh, the I was the senator here, lady, and the I was born here guy. Mm. Um, basically ignoring the city. And uh, uh, Errol Lewis, uh, the great New York One anchor, was criminally, I thought, underused. Yes, yeah. to the true. Ants turned to 11 thing. You know, yeah, outside of the Palestinians, there was zero new here. And there is a question of why we're just putting these people through the uh, paces of saying things that, that, that they've said again and again and again. Uh, um, it's very hard for me to imagine any minds, uh, any minds turning here. It was just it's sort of the same information and, and, and the same cycle. And then uh, Sanders has got this incredible momentum point, right? One eight out of the last nine and all that is in New York where only registered Democrats can vote. Everything is set up so that it's a pain in the ass to switch your registration. You had to have done it months and months and months ago. October. October. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to be really hard for him to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to close that gap here. So, so he had good reason to shout, but uh, it, it was loud. Yeah, no, it's it's a good point. I mean, I live right by the Ingersoll houses and I've seen some kind of crazy things there over over the years, and especially in a neighborhood where um, five years ago, 10 years ago, an apartment was, you know, you could buy a brownstone for probably $300,000, whereas now it's, you know, there's one uh, on the street that I live on that is under the BQE, the Brooklyn Queens Expressway, which is a big highway. It's literally the last house right under it. It was just sold uh, for uh, $2.1 million to the girl from the Adams family. What's that girl's name? Christina Ritchie. <laughs> Christina Ritchie, yeah. And it's like under the highway. Like That's what the neighborhood has become. And it's a kind of interesting you know, bit of contrast there for the neighborhood, Brooklyn at large. Everyone in the media filing center is you know, drinking Brooklyn roastery coffee and they get Mass Brothers chocolate. Har, har, how Brooklyn is that. But you know, it is interesting, and Harry makes a good point. It, it's surprising that for a Democratic debate, the tale of two cities, this idea of gentrification and the fact that all these people that have lived in Brooklyn are being pushed out. What does that mean? That's a that's a pretty a, a good talking point and a good debate point. For but people. then the, I think one problem for Democrats is that uh, uh, their broad policies, I think, exacerbate that notion on, on both because you're driving up the costs of living on the coasts and kind of forcing people to move to Staten Island if they're going to be in the, in the middle class, and then they're going to vote for Donald Trump. Um, and that's the kind of self-reflection that you're not going to get in a Democratic debate, because most of it is going to be about stuff like uh, agreeing that uh, trade is bad and the $15 minimum wage was good, which, we're going to, uh, again, we're going to talk about in a, in, a, in a bit here. I went out beforehand and, and, um, and interviewed a bunch of the people outside uh, the projects who are the supporters of uh, Hillary and Bernie, and it was a very illuminating one uh, was that the Hillary supporters were the most desultory bunch of people you could ever uh, uh, imagine. Their one chant that they kept chanting over and over again was, we believe that she will win. <laughs> Think <laughs> no. about that for a second. Yeah. That's just going to catch fire. <laughs> we believe. Great. Yeah. Congratulations. You believe that she will win. That's a thing. It's like a yeah. Ceausescu uh, chant. It's a very <laughs> Romanian 1980 chant. I interviewed a Hobbit. I was very excited about that. I was uh, interviewing uh, um, Sean uh, Astin, uh, but then I like recognized him, and but then didn't recognize him, and then asked him his name afterwards, and it was awkward. What did uh, Sean? Was he there for Bernie? He was no. He was a Hillary supporter. Oh. He was a, he was one of the desultory Hillary supporters. And then across the street, you had the Bernie supporters who were having the time of their lives. They outnumbered Hillary supporters by about five to one. Uh, there was a bunch of people who were 
their their uh, slogans were A A R P A A R P because they wanted to uh, preserve social security. Uh, there was a bunch of Verizon worker uh, uh, strikers there, and they're uh, psyched up about. Uh, Bernie uh, uh, weighing in on the Verizon strike. And then there was uh, this funny dude from uh, Dallas uh, who was in charge of the brigade of black men for Bernie, mm. <laughs> who was showing up, who was really mad at Hillary Clinton for being a Goldwater girl. And that was uh, their big reason. <laughs> but talking yeah. to people, it's illuminating because we asked everybody the same question. Um, Bernie supporters uh, mainly, why are you excited about Bernie Sanders? There were two reasons. One is sort of an authenticity, honest guy. He's trustworthy. Uh, and the rest were all economic issues. And this is the thing that really struck home last night. We made a, re- a video, uh, Reason TV. Um, it was not him talking about the drug war. It was not him talking about things having to do with uh, overcriminalization and that kind of thing. It was not his critiques on foreign policy. It was mm-hmm. $15 minimum wage, free tuition for everybody, more Medicare, more Social Security for everybody. Um, for me, as someone who's uh, more libertarian on these issues, uh, it's sad that the issues that I totally agree about with or, or, or largely agree with uh, Bernie Sanders on are not the things that make him excited. And if you look at the things where Hillary is being bent in the direction towards Bernie, it's all econ. It's none of the other nice libertarian stuff that I like. Ha- Harry, it's funny when you said the tale of two cities um i find that all the excitement for bernie that i see in new york city comes from the for lack of a better phrase the gentrified enclaves of brooklyn where i can't afford to live and most (laughs) any normal human being can't afford to live and i see a lot of people with right behind me by the way in the studio right now we walked into a studio and there's a canvas bag that says talk bernie to me babes for bernie (laughs) and i just thought that i mean that's very canvas bags are very kind of brooklyn and uh that's that's but i mean isn't this a weird thing that that, you know the 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 borough is it becoming more left-wing because of the the kind of people that have moved in become more sort of i didn't say left-wing sort of bernie friendly than uh, you know what it used to be when it was like sort of more working class and more uh people who read the daily news and the post (laughs) <laughs> so, so the uh, the guy who's leaning over this cycle ahead of uh, Bernie Sanders' rally in Prospect Park with uh, Grizzly Bear. Oh yeah, with Grizzly Bear. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Uh, speaking speaking of the kids and the campus bags and all that <laughs> is, is is Ed Koch, um, who, who sort of a uh, represented you know like an older, crankier. Like a uh, working class and sometimes a uh, white ethnic outer borough city that doesn't really uh, doesn't really isn't here so much anymore, and so you have this uh, this very uh, sort of sort of a uh, uh, top down rich and poor Brooklyn uh, where, where, where passions for uh, Bernie seem to be uh, seem to be inflamed at this point. And I'll tell you, I've seen so many Bernie signs and windows, and the people have made themselves and all that. Nothing for Hillary, and and I know I know the numbers are showing one thing, but in terms of passion and excitement to participate, it, it, it's all been on one end, Look, the, which in a lot of ways makes sense. You know, Hillary Clinton, it's like a thirty-year operation, and uh, and uh, uh, there is no we there; it, it's them. Um, and and Bernie Bernie's this guy, and you can be part of something, and that's exciting. So so the same people who wanted to hold up signs at Occupy who feel frustrated and left out and the same people live in very expensive places, but, but feel terribly liberal, uh, are, are, are inflamed. Yeah. You know, by, uh, it, by Sanders you moment. know, it's funny. These, the sign thing, uh, is that, um, you think of, uh, the, the movie, I guess it was the landlord, the 1970, uh, movie that was shot in park slope. And it was a, you know, gritty, you know, very multi-ethnic neighborhood. Now Park Slope is a is a byword for for kind of upper middle class white in the I guess it was, was 2008 cycle. And you can look this up. This is quite funny. The New York Times did a story about a family in Park Slope that now 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 check out this breaking news. I mean, gird yourself for this that had a John McCain sign on their lawn. <laughs> I'm not joking. You can look this up. They, they actually did a story about a John McCain sign. You know, almost 50% of the country voted for John McCain. And this was uh, such an outlier. And it reminded me, and it's a book that I really recommend. Um, and the guy's name is Jonathan Reeder. And I can't remember what, what year it's from. 
And I, I just, I, the full name of it is, uh, and Harry, if you haven't read this, you should. It's called Canarsie. The Jews and Italians of Brooklyn Against yes. Liberalism. Mm. And this is like a 1980s, 85 book. And it's 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 sort of the, the sociologist who goes out into deep Brooklyn, into Canarsie, the last stop on the L train, which now the L train is, you know, full of canvas bags. But in and talks to these Italians and Jews about what liberalism means to them. And it's basically Reagan Democrats. It's these working class people in their transition to this sort of new type of conservatism. And it's a totally fascinating book. And it's a book that only exists for historical purposes now because that type of Brooklyn really doesn't exist so much anymore. You will find it in places like Canarsie still. In Staten and, Island. In Staten Island and places like that. But but it's not, I mean, it's, 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 it's so very, very different now. But anyway. Yeah, and I think what we what we want to do as well is try to turn this a little bit towards sort of the the New York of it all, but in the context of the national election. And there were plenty of issues uh, that, as you mentioned, Matt, the economic issues that resonate with voters that the, that both candidates are talking about a bunch, uh, and that New York kind of has a special hold on, like the minimum wage. Well, so you know, I'm from California, and uh, in California, we haven't had a primary election where California mattered. Uh, maybe since 1972 or something like that, uh, uh, when McGovern uh, finally sealed the deal. Uh, and p- so people always uh, prayed for the moment when California would matter. New York's the same way. There's been a few others uh, that uh, have mattered uh, sporadically, but never uh, in a really long time. And Harry will correct me, I'm sure, where both parties, uh, this is a, a pretty crucial primary. And so what happens when California and New York matter. Um, one of the things that happened, it's, I think, absolutely no surprise that both states just suddenly jumped into the arms of the $15 minimum wage, which uh, yeah. uh, provided, I thought, one of the funniest uh, moments from last night. Do you have that uh, audio there? Camille I do. Foster? Let, me, uh, let me play this for you. We got to end the starvation minimum wage of seven and a quarter, raise it to 15. Secretary Clinton said, let's raise it to 12. There's a difference. If a Democratic Congress put a $15 minimum wage bill on your desk, would you sign it? Oh, of course I would. Now, as a candidate for president, you say that by the time you're done with all your rules and regulations, fracking uh, will be restricted. Chop that off. Uh, No, this is great. Last July, Hillary Clinton was pretty steadfast in minimum wage should be $12 uh, and not 15 on the federal level. And you can see what what's happening through the Bernie campaign is that she is slowly and surely trying to have it both ways of saying, oh, I've, I've been in the fight for 15 all along. She was up uh, with uh, uh, Governor Cuomo, one of her uh, leading surrogates at this point, uh, you know, raising his fist in the air when New York went to a $15 minimum wage. California rushed theirs through. At least Cuomo was uh, telegraphing it for a while. California did theirs in about a week and a half uh, uh, to a $15 minimum wage. And I think it's uh, illustrative uh, when uh, Jerry Brown signed that into law. He actually said, you know, this might not make economic sense, but <laughs> which is an incredible sentence. Like I mean, yeah. Let's let's pass it's a good. statewide regulation <laughs> that affects Fresno the same way that it affects West Hollywood uh, and and, you know, lead it with this might not make sense. But it you, makes got, you it. got to kind of admire that, though, don't you? The honesty of this makes no sense, but we're going to do it anyway. He so, had, I wish all politicians. So how is this? How is this different than than what what's being done in New York? Because they both have these fifteen dollar minimum wage. I, I, there's uh, there's some uh, there's some gradation in the right. times that are that are set up with it. Um, but it, I think it's it's uh, fascinating to see how quickly this has become a kind of dominant national issue for Democrats. Sure. And let's and let's let's be uh, clear about this. The uh, Left of center econ- uh, uh, economists, that's the word, economists, yeah. uh, who support this, <laughs> whose research, you know, basically says that this doesn't really hurt that bad um, uh, for entry level positions and, and uh, the employment picture. Those people say that the $15 minimum wage is bananas. Alan mm. Kruger, the former chair of the President's Council of Economic uh, Advisors, said this is a kind of experiment that is just way you're way too far out ahead of your skis. Uh, so keep uh, in mind also, Alan Kruger was the person who did one of those original minimum wage studies on the sort of Pennsylvania 
uh, border there where the minimum wage went from four something an hour to five something an hour. And he was the one who said it had no effect. Yes. And everyone be, is being crazy about this. But then, of course, this was a dollar increase and not not in what in some cases is doubling the minimum wage. Harry Siegel, uh, here in New York, we've seen the $15 uh, minimum wage. We see it on stage last night. No one saying this, you know, might be not the best idea. There might be some liberal economist. Vox had a thing the other day about the liberal economists who are who are sort of skeptical of the $15 minimum wage, even when it's phased in. What did you make of uh, of uh, this fight in New York, which has seen the actual $15 minimum wage fight recently? So, so hey, it's almost like this is an election year, right? <laughs> um, look, you know, there's a median wage in a lot of New York because outside of the uh, the city, you know, you, you get up toward Buffalo and the Rust Belt and into the southern tier. These areas are devastated. Uh, uh, there's not really industry left. Uh, there's not much there. All the young people go. Um, this is one hell of an experiment. Uh, that said, when you look at where the, the, the core Democratic voters are and in the dense blue cities, uh, this, this seems like the most common sense thing in the world. Like, like it is not easy to live in New York City on $15 now. And, and, and so, so the politics of it are very nice and simple and clean for right now. And what this is actually going to mean for the economy, uh, hey, we're going to find out. Mm-hmm. I was up in uh, Poughkeepsie, uh, two hours north of here in the Hudson Valley, a formerly great, you know, small, big industrial town that's uh, seen hard times. Uh, went to the nicest restaurant in town, so, you know, changed the menu every two uh two weeks to reflect the local ingredients from fish kill farms and all this kind of stuff um it's super expensive for poughkeepsie and i got like a glass of sauvignon blanc for four dollars and fifty cents because it's poughkeepsie and yeah. like stuff has to be less expensive there's no way in hell that the average restaurant pay or the average anything pay or median let's say in poughkeepsie is fifteen dollars right now or is going to be fifteen dollars i mean it's to have the same uh, wage policies in Columbus, Ohio, where you can buy a house for a hundred grand, and Los Angeles, California. And this is what Bernie Sanders is proposing. He wants a federal fifteen dollars minimum wage, which would effectively double the minimum wage everywhere in the country, um, or at least in thirty states in the country. Um, uh, it's it's bananas to me. I mean, it's magic, right? I mean, it's this is a lot of this Sanders stuff is total magic. I mean, it's it's this is magical thinking, and this will happen because it sounds great. One of the things, and I don't know what the case, maybe Harry would know this, what the case is in New York City itself. But if you look at the minimum wage nationwide, and I'm ballparking the figures here from memory, about fifty percent of the people who make the minimum wage are twenty five or under. Right. It's something around that. And lasts for about one year. And lasts for about one year. The, the There is, of course, in this debate, an idea that is being put forth uh, on the stage uh, at uh, in Brooklyn and, and, and all these other Democratic debates that a lot of people are actually living on the minimum wage. Um, I think that maybe far too many are, but it's actually a very, very low percentage. And the people that are living on the minimum, some of those are still in high school. There's a, a percentage in the national level. How many of those people that are under uh, 25 are actually high school students that make the minimum wage because they're 17 years old living at home and working a job. Camille, did you ever work uh, for minimum wage or are you like running multi-million dollar companies from the age of 17? Yeah, no, not the minimum wage. Uh, I think I was making six fifty an hour at a job in high school and the minimum wage uh, might have been like five fifty at the mm-hmm. time. So I was about, I was about a dollar over. Um, but it was interesting. I mean, last night during the debate, there was at least one question asked um, about whether or not it was actually practical um, or whether or not this might actually cost us jobs. Uh, and Bernie seemed to nod towards the fact that, yeah, I mean, stuff stuff might cost a little more. You may have your to pay a might- couple of extra cents for your burger. Um, but no, I mean, the consequences would be devastating. Uh, nothing like that. And it is interesting, I think, it, that it Hillary also, has by gone the way, from, presumes that, that, they, that people pass the cost on in the burger and right. not on employment. And, not, and yeah. not employment. Yeah. And I mean, Hillary seems to nod towards when she talks about $12 instead of 15 she at least nods towards the economic reality of all of this. And we, we can sort of bring any number of studies to bear to try and make whatever case that we like. But the fact that we're talking about 15 and not 20 or 25 or 30, because for Bernie, it's like, well, she wants to pass her bill and it's $12. And I want to pass my bill and it's 15. 15 is obviously better. Well, 50 is better. <laughs> uh, we don't do that because it's ridiculous. And there's at least some universe in which it might be ridiculous to do $15 an hour. And there are almost certainly counties, districts in this country 
uh, where a fifteen dollar minimum wage hike is massive. Would you, and huge would you and get would on stage and 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 would you do you think if you got on stage, Camille, and would you get the biggest applause if you got on stage and you said, well, you know what, you want fifteen, you want twelve, I want twenty five, the whole place would erupt. Everyone would just go absolutely crazy. <laughs> they would because the laws of economics don't apply. Do, well, they don't. Debates. They don't matter. To by, by the way, and I should say in Republican debates, they don't apply. Uh, that's true. Moynihan's very favorite writer, uh, Matthew Iglesias uh, from Vox, <laughs> last night. What are you laughing? Uh, no. I I was just wheezing. Uh, yeah. Um, pointed out that, uh, hey, you know, uh, uh, the problem with the $12 minimum wage is that it's, there's not enough alliteration. The fight for 15 uh, makes uh, makes more. And, and he's actually, I think, stupidly right. No, he's uh, absolutely right. Uh, yeah. About that. And, and, totally right. Yeah. We're losing. We're losing. Harry. Election cycle. Harry, are you walking in circles? Because we're uh, we're uh, losing. I know you. If you've seen Harry walk, he's very neurotic. <laughs> so you might be walking in circles. We, we, we missed you for a second. We missed that, Harry. I Can you come again? Was walking in circles when you asked that. But look, you're going to get stuff. Like uh, you ever pick your toes in Poughkeepsie? Uh, fight for fifteen. That's what people remember. And, and this is slogan season. And the incredible thing is the slogan's becoming a reality. So we're going to have this test of what fifteen means in, in California, New York. Uh, you know, the good news is I see no way this happens nationally. Uh, it's just a question of sort of getting getting through this cycle in the, uh, the Democratic bidding war at the moment. The, uh, the, I think there's a, a broader question, and it, it speaks to a difference between Sanders and, and Hillary Clinton. Um, in Sanders' world, there is no trade-off for anything. And there was a great moment in the uh, debate last night when uh, Errol Lewis, who I agree with uh, Harry, was criminally underutilized He's He's really um, there. Uh he uh, asked about Sanders' energy. Sanders, of course, wants to ban fracking uh, throughout the entire United States, which would uh, undercut a lot of jobs in places like Pennsylvania and Ohio and North Dakota and uh, and elsewhere. So Errol Lewis says, uh, OK, well, if you ban fracking uh, and you also want to ban nuclear uh, power and all this, uh, wouldn't those proposals drive the country back to coal and oil because we only have you know six percent and uh sanders says uh no they wouldn't <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, Full then, stop. and then moves on and says that well what we really need to do is like in world war uh, uh you know uh two with uh, hiroshima and we have to you know it wasn't over when the germans bombed pearl harbor uh and before you know it Sanders is talking about what the that's why I've called for weatherizing on everybody's homes. If you're talking about I mean, weatherizing yeah. your way to to winning climate change or winning the economy, you're just you're in <laughs> fantasy land. There's you but have that, to get that's power good alliteration. We're weatherizing our way to uh, energy independence. I you like know, that. Uh, uh, Joe Biden in, I think, 2009, 2010, uh, led a task force that's been forgotten. Uh, but it was called a big report from the White House called Recovery Through Retrofit. This exists. <laughs> <laughs> I encourage everyone I mean, to go. That's pretty much what he was selling last yeah. night. That is totally what he was selling. Yeah, and w- so we've tried recovery through retrofit, and weirdly, it didn't cause either retrofitting uh, or recovery. But no, I think I think Sanders does not acknowledge that there can possibly be any. Tra- we can have Medicare for all in a way that is doesn't even resemble modern Medicare because it's like uh, there's no copays, there's nothing, and and it's all going to be cheaper. Well, Harry, I'd love for you to to weigh in on on this uh, energy and, and sort of give us a sense of of the the New York of it all. Um, but but I'd also like to well, let me just let you do that first. Go ahead. Yeah, well, the New York of it all is big. Like Sanders is keyed in on fracking now because this uh, lady's effort teach out ran and, and put the pure of God into Cuomo. Mm. Um, uh, in his re-election bid, in large part by, 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 by focusing on the issue and sort of joining people people in areas where fracking might actually happen, who are nervous about it, with like New Yorkers who are totally New York City people, who are totally uh, just environmentalists on the issue. It has nothing to do do with them or with us. Wouldn't be anywhere near the city. So so there's no economic trade-offs. A la Sanders uh, supporters, you know, it's just uh, we should not have anything that might do something bad somewhere else, and whatever it might mean for the economy there, forget about it. So New York has been totally, or almost, uh, pretty much totally left out of the fracking boom, and uh, and and in the Democratic primary, that that's the position to be in. So New York and trying to field the voters here, and you know, uh, seeing which delegates and which congressional districts he can kill off. Suddenly, fracking has risen to the uh, top of his agenda, and clearly, it's magical thinking. No fracking, no nuclear energy. Don't worry, nothing, nothing bad will happen. Uh, we will have only good things, which is a, a lovely campaign slogan. 
and and one that resonates with with a lot of voters in the uh, in in the state, as 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 Cuomo learned the uh, the hard way. But I, I would I would point out uh, though that it's a double edged sword for Sanders. Uh, because the next primary after New York, and of course he needs to win New York. If he doesn't win New York, he can't win, I don't think, uh, the nomination. And so, which I think means he's not going to win the nomination now because of what Harry talked about earlier with independents. It's so hard for them to vote in this primary. But the very next primary is in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And Pennsylvania, fracking is not the same word as it means in nope. New York. Right. Um, Pennsylvania, it's, oh, this is the way we finally began to replace steel mills. It's yeah. a It's a positive thing. Yeah, Harry, before we let you go, there's there's, you know, I mean, y- you were writing for the past couple of years. You've been at the Daily News, which has uh, uh, made a bit of an impact in this uh, election. There have been, uh, you know, these these uh, very loud covers <laughs> that we see a lot of. Um, what is the issue when you're watching this uh, debate last night? And we talked about this before. There's retreading so much of the same ground. What is the issue that was ignored? What are you watching this and saying, you know, what's really annoying me both as a citizen and as a New Yorker that nobody's talking about is X. Was there anything? Well, first. Harry, you're walking around again. Really? No, no. Okay, stay there. Stay there. Stay there. Right there. Right there. You're perfect. Nothing. Nothing in New York. Nothing very New York about this debate, other than Toll Brother coffee, uh, uh, candy bars, chocolate <laughs> bars on on the seats, and uh, uh, that was irritating. The, the New Yorkers, I'm sure, immigration got zero mention. Yeah, uh, and 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 both both as a New Yorker and and, and the Democrat, I thought that was uh, that 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 was weird and appalling. Mm. Yeah, uh, no. but again, at this point. Uh, at this point, all the local stuff is just like backdrop and setting. So, so it really is sort of like being on a uh, on a movie set, which which New York has more and more of. Yeah. Uh, you sort of nod to the uh, to to the local thing, and then go on with the same stuff you've been saying again and again and again. And, and there's something a little a little exhausting about that. But I may just be uh, hitting one of my uh, moments of exhaustion with this uh, with this never ending election. You, Lastly, you... I, I got to mention that Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the real New Yorker in this race. He's a horrible <laughs> true. New Yorker. Yeah. But, but, but while the Democrats are fighting about who the real New York person is, uh, Trump, who, who may take every delegate in the state, um, is the actual New Yorker, and he's the New Yorker, who will not have a rally in his home city. I thought he'd do one thing in Staten Island to just tick that off. Yeah. But I think after Chicago, um, and, 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 and just given that he's broadly lived here, and when he has done brief public appearances, has been roundly heckled. He has not had uh, he's not had the guts to show up in his hometown that he's represented his entire life and say, I'm, I'm the guy running for president. And, and, and watching him be cowardly that way is, is very amusing to me. Sadly, the other Republicans have failed to call him out on this. And consequently, the Wazy media has failed to, to pick up this, uh, this story. and give him It's, the, uh, it's hard to, the, hard to call him out on it when, when they can't really have uh, have events here either. Um, but, Harry, I, I like yeah. that. You, you go out with the bomb. Uh, you, you drop the gauntlet. <laughs> call uh, Donald Trump uh, uh, a, a punk. Uh, and a real New Yorker. I, I would have used stronger language. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's great. Uh, Harry, thank you so much for uh, for joining us, for, for chatting a little bit of debate uh, politics with us. And uh, we hope you will uh, do it again. Pleasure, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Great. Uh, well, there there were some other issues uh, brought up in last night's debate. Uh, I know that we, uh, we talked a little bit uh, in the intro about this story out of Chicago, mm. um, which is about this task force report. Uh, detailing uh, all of the terrible, horrible things that are happening there. Um, but I think there's a connection to the conversation that that was happening on the debate stage as well. Uh, there was a question about super predators uh, that was brought up and the crime bill was discussed again. And it was interesting. I mean, the, 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 the question that Hillary Clinton gets is, are you willing to apologize for the crime bill? Uh, which, interestingly, she, of course, did not author. She was out stumping on this on the she was out stumping for uh, but she wasn't the president uh, and she wasn't in the Senate. Interestingly, the guy who was in the Senate was not asked mm-hmm. whether or not he would apologize for the crime bill. Who I mean, voted for the crime bill. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. her handling of all of that? Does that rub either of you guys the wrong way? You know, what's amazing about this is that Hillary Clinton and no one has pointed this out. Hillary Clinton last night conceded what Republicans said about her in the 90s is that she was an unelected member of government. And everyone would say, Democracy, she's the first lady. Do not, you know, she got involved in the health care thing. But beyond that, you know, Republicans say, we didn't elect you. And she would say, no, 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 no. 
She's what does she have to apologize for? Number one, when she was the first lady, she came out and she supported this and her husband. Yeah. okay, fine. The super predator thing that drives me absolutely bananas. She said this word one time, literally one time. And this was a word that was used in common currency at the time. And there was a reason it was used. All the people that came up with this, this phrase, John Diulo, the, the one who really came up with it, I think was at Princeton at the time, apologized for it. Because he was totally wrong. The youth crime rates and this idea of super predator were already declining. And by 2000, by 2000, when he was in the Bush administration, the sort of, you know, what is it, the Office of uh, Religious Authority or whatever. (laughs) He said, I was wrong. That was five years later. It didn't take a long time for him to realize that, that he was wrong about this. But the thing about the whole super predator argument is where we are with the conversations about the, the Black Lives Matter movement, about the police and about race in this election, is that no one feels comfortable pushing back. It's a matter of how sort of how, how you know prostrate you have to be when you apologize. So Hillary Clinton says, well, yes, I will. My husband already has apologized, which, you know. He's actually fought back on this a little bit himself. But, you know, it, no one is actually defending this in a way. And I don't think the crime bill is defensible in a number of ways. Because, I mean, there's a lot of different elements of this, by the way. As Hillary right. Clinton pointed out, there is the violence against women stuff. There are gun provisions. There's stuff about mandatory minimum sentencing. There's stuff about youth sentencing. Um, by the way, none of which, none of that stuff, by the way, exists anymore. Most of that stuff has been, has been, has been, um, you know, Sunlit. Is that what we're trying to say? Trying to say? Mm, no? What, what, what am I trying to say? Sunsetted. Sunsetted. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm sorry. I, I had a... Uh, last night I was watching the debate. I had an aneurysm. Yeah. <laughs> and one can understand why. Um, but, you know, all of this stuff, you know, it, it is this argument now that we're having and that everybody feels because of the kind of Black Lives Matter movement and Hillary being heckled. And that is her constituency. By the way, Bernie, Bernie Sanders last night laughably saying, I lost the South because it's too conservative. Oh, dear God. Are you kidding me? Conservative I mean, is the new black. Well, yeah. I mean, you lost the black vote and, and across the South, it's too conservative. It's, you know, it's a, it's a terrible thing to say at the South, about the South, by the way. It's like they're all conservative. It's not true. But, you know, this idea that nobody wants to run away from that core constituency and nobody wants to say, hey, you know what? The super predator stuff was wrong. Absolutely true. It was deeply complicated in a lot of ways. And Hillary Clinton, when she said that, and when most of other people said this, did not a- a- attach racial uh, characteristics to it, right? Now, that would be, I su- su- suppose, controversial to some people that would get upset and say, well, it was implicit. But Camille, I mean, you've read a lot about this stuff. We've talked about this stuff. Super predator, the idea and the, the presumption in this is that it was a racially charged term. Was it or was it not? I mean, she certainly didn't use race in yeah. the context of, of her own remarks. She was talking about young people who were going out and doing violent crimes, who were wilding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for, for from that standpoint, I could certainly understand. I can't understand um, accusing her of racism, but it was loaded. Um, there was a connotation at the yeah. time yeah. Um, that this super predator phrase might have something to do with the genetic reality of race and the genetic differences between certain communities of people and that certain people uh, might be more prone um, to violence and that they're hopelessly um, prone to violence. So I, I suppose there's there is that. Um, but it seems deeply disingenuous when I hear Bernie Sanders deploy that from the debate stage and say it was totally racist. And that's the reason because he did say that. Right. I mean, he said that. Yeah. Explicitly, that the phrase "super predator" was racist, right? Yeah, I want to acknowledge here that I think, in all the time I've known Camille, this might be the first time that he said something might have a hint of racism. Yeah, me too. I didn't yeah. mind. I'm saying no. I'm saying that it's loaded, but but this is this is the reason this is the reason I don't I don't um, sort of wade into those things too heavily. And I set this up, and I mentioned the story coming out of Chicago, and to give to give everyone listening a little bit of context. Um, earlier this week, I believe it was on the 14th. Um, the police accountability task force in Chicago uh, was tasked with evaluating all of the complaints coming out of the Chicago Police Department. And what actually set this off um, was I don't know that I can call it anything but an assassination, like the murder of a teenage boy by yeah. a police officer in the streets um, of Chicago in October of 2014. Um, the 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 story is is somewhat complicated. Um, Laquan McDonald uh, is seen in the video. Uh, being shot by a police officer who, who shoots him about 16 times, yeah. uh, if I'm not mistaken. And the initial reports were all sort of 
vindicating the officer's uh, account of events. Uh, he was threatened. He was going to be assaulted. He was in fear of his life. He had to fight back. And then the video finally comes out. After a lot of wrangling, the video comes out and the video shows that the story went exactly the opposite way. Uh, and there was great public outcry appropriately um, from Chicagoans when they saw this happen, because this is devastating. This is terrible. Um, and I think, you know, this got wrapped into a lot of the the rest of the national narrative about um, black lives, um, the Black Lives Matter crowd and the, the Ferguson of it all, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and and I think it's terribly important to talk about these stories. I also think it's terribly important not to oversimplify what's happening here. The The report um, goes on to cite some pretty staggering statistics uh, 74 percent of the of the people shot uh, in officer involved shootings were African-American, 14 percent for Hispanics, 8 percent for whites, a uh, quarter of a percent for Asians mm. um, and 76 percent um, of the officer involved discharges of tasers were African-Americans, 13 percent Hispanics, 8 percent whites, 0.2 percent Asians. I have seen this story everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. The New York, the New York Times um, did a, a very, you know, sort of devastating piece. And then the opinion board um, also the editorial board wrote an opinion piece um, as well. What I've seen no one talk about uh, at all uh, while they're all saying this is obvious, an obvious sign of racism, an obvious indication of racism. No one is talking about the overall crime statistics in Chicago, which is something I alluded to last week. And the fact of the matter is that both the victims and assailants in terms of violent crime in Chicago over a similar period are overwhelmingly black by pretty much the same degree, like the same 70 odd percent. In fact, I think this year it's about 79% of the victims of violent crime, not perpetrated by police, but in general are black similar. They are similarly overrepresented in virtually every single crime statistic. Um, And we could make this about race um, or we could talk about crime more broadly or we might even, God forbid, talk about the fact that some, somewhere around 50 odd percent of the violent crime that takes place in Chicago is in some way, shape or form connected to the war on drugs, which that seems really important to me, Perhaps which is even more important than the racial aspect of the conversation. Yeah, it's always a disappointment uh, when the headline making moment was Bernie uh, saying that the super predators comment from 20 years ago is racist. That's the headline making moment. Bernie also said uh, that one of the important things to do in terms of over incarceration and just our criminal justice system is to end the war on drugs, get the government, the federal government out of giving a flying shit about marijuana. Um, that's that's a, one drug. That's that's pretty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a pretty radical, uh, interesting and kind of on point thing. And allude, and going back to what I was saying before about Hillary feels the heat on economic issues. What, how did she respond to that moment when Bernie Sanders just said, end the war on drugs, stop locking people up for marijuana, get the federal government out of it. Don't even schedule it as a controlled substance. What Hillary Clinton said, she said, well, I, I you know, I think I've been fighting my whole career for expanding uh, universal uh, preschool for children. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, she doesn't feel even one drop of heat. And I realize that doesn't make any sense. That's yeah, not important right now. Uh, <laughs> she just feels no bad metaphors today on the show. That's that's uh, <laughs> get Catherine Manga Ward in the line yeah, about yeah. the uh, mixed metaphor problem uh, that, that I have. Uh, no, it's it's it. I think I agree with you, Camille, that would have so much more to do. But then we would be talking about actual policy uh, and shining the light on those kind of things, which is the th- is what you can change. This is the frustration right. about uh, shifting the conversation to race. I think you can and should talk about race more than you think that we should can and should talk about race, or at least I, I see the import of it maybe slightly differently. However, what can you change? Right. You can't change the racism in Moynihan's heart. He grew up. He's from Southie. Yeah, I, I, but the, but the I, question first is, first of all, I'm from Concord, Massachusetts. Whatever. You know, uh, and we were a very early busing school. We we're very big-hearted. Uh, Was that people. you? The picture total, with the flag. Some, some of your best friends. Some of your best friends are black. I, yeah, I stabbed I people with flags. Uh, no, I mean, I think Camille's right, and and a couple uh, of points here. I mean, number one, I do like, I do appreciate from Bernie moving the dial on this a little bit. I mean, to think back of 1992 and Bill Clinton turning himself into a pretzel about, you know, well, I had the weed in my hand. It didn't mean that it hit my lungs. That's a different thing. 
I, I, I didn't inhale it. I mean, come on, let's be honest here. And to have a, a, a somebody on stage like Bernie Sanders, um, who, you know, is, is winning contest after contest, is really making an impact here. And he's on stage and he says, we have to end the war on drugs. And there's not a single headline about it the next day. That's a big statement. That's a big, that would be a big change in this country and it'd be a positive change. And he's absolutely right about it. Uh, to the Chicago point, the, 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 the way these things are separated are typically separated is too bad. And the reason they are separated, I think, because you can't win sort of political points, moral posturing points when you talk about the complicated aspects of this. Camille, mm-hmm. Camille said that, that the Chicago thing's been all over the place. It, it has been all over the place. And today in the New York Times, I saw this op-ed uh, by someone named Nicole Gonzalez Van Cleve, who is uh, apparently a Dutch Dominican, Gonzalez Van Cleve. Uh, the headline is Chicago's racist cops and racist courts. Right. Full stop. That's yeah. it. You know, look, you know, the McDonald video, which mysteriously, by the way, has gotten less attention than Freddie Gray. And I mean, it is much more brazen mm-hmm. and there is no gray areas here. It is, as Camille said, it's a murder, it's an assassination and it is an absolute outrage. And but unfortunately, that in, that informs everything that. You know, if one person says some, does something bad, you don't want to implicate the entire community. You see where I'm going with this? And the same thing, I think, is probably true uh, with the cops. Are the cops uh, racist? Well, you know, I think fifth, two things that aren't mentioned. Right. A lot. Camille, says one, Camille says one thing. 74% of the shootings, um, police uh, shootings, uh, are African-Americans. The number of murders in Chicago, as we know, is staggeringly high. And that number is higher that it's 75, and I think as Camille yeah. said, it's 78% this 70, year. 79.9% um, of the murdered victims were blacks last year, yeah. um, and 70.7% of the people who were actually charged uh, with with murder, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. were black. And it doesn't... And, it, and that's the people it, charged. It, yeah, and it There's doesn't, a lot of unsolved murders it, in, a lot of unsolved in Chicago. Murders. Most of them go it, unsolved. And it doesn't mean that there isn't rotten apples within the barrel of the Chicago Police Department. It doesn't mean that at all. It also, but, it, but there is some context here to make people say, well, okay, let's not just immediately assume because of these numbers, then, I mean, it's just a lazy assumption. The other one is that, you know, one would presume Chicago's racist cops and racist courts that <laughs> over 50%, at least, of the cops in Chicago are these kind of Bull Connor, Richard Daly, 1968 Chicago convention, porcine white guys using their trunches. It's under 50% of the, the, the cops in Chicago are white. It's a, a majority minority force. So that's something also to consider. Also true of D.C. and Baltimore, and New York. Um, if I'm not mistaken. And New York, too. And New York, yeah. um, all of whom have had sort of similar issues uh, and similar charges leveled against them. Not um, the numbers aren't nearly as stark Chicago's as these a special numbers. place, yeah. Um, but we still see the same sort of overrepresentation. And I think, I think that's the issue. Like, I, I grant, Matt, that we ought to pay attention to racism where it actually exists. We ought to pay attention to these issues where there are where there is tangible evidence of racial impropriety and injustice where it isn't where we don't have the tangible evidence where we only have supposition, which is the vast majority of the cases that black that the black lives matter crowd get involved in. I think we actually only distract ourselves when the cops are breaking the recording equipment that has been installed in their cars Mm. when they're covering up for one another and doing all of these other things. It's not just like serial incompetence. It is a willful attempt to evade. um, um, uh, What is the word I'm looking for? Um, Responsibility. (laughs) Well, evade responsibility, but evade being surveilled by the public and being held accountable. Accountability is the word I was looking for. Um, Like that ought to matter. And when there are actual policy things that we could do to bring the overall number of homicides down, which would necessarily mean that there are less dudes with guns out on the streets doing various bad things like that seems like a big problem. And I, and I think that if there is a success and a victory for the black lives matter movement, it is that they have been able to create um, these Twitter celebrities who can run for office in places like Baltimore who can apparently turn the conversation in a presidential election and get the politicians to talk about these issues in a different and narrow and myopic way. Um, but I don't know that they're actually getting us really tangible victories on the public policy side that will likely actually lead to a serious dampening of criminality in the communities that are most severely affected. Well, um, 
I mean, if you look at Black Lives Matter, they have a, a, a kind of a, a lobbying action bullet points group whose name escapes me right now. But the, 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 this is your our 10 recommendations. Right. Those recommendations are pretty good. Actually, it's a it's a decent list of the community policing and various other things. But like cameras, you know, sure. uh, and, and the one thing that's changed and, and their advocacy has helped has been the. Uh, we've gone in two years from being, you know, if you film a cop, especially in Chicago, which right. is just a, a city drowning in dysfunction. If you film a cop, you're liable to get your camera taken and yourself going to jail and this kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Um, now it is totally mainstream that cops should have cameras and, and more and more cops themselves are realizing that there's a great benefit from that, too, because a lot of bogus complaints about police misconduct go out the window when you actually have some uh, some evidence uh, of that. So I think. They have improved things that way. But I will agree with you in the way that a lot of this becomes really stupid symbolism. Um, it's it becomes in the political sphere. How well do you answer the question? Do black lives matter in a right. moment? Yes. Absolutely. And that just doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, and to get back to the, the Hillary Clinton angle of this. I mean, Bill, Bill Clinton last week or 10 days ago shouted down a bunch of uh, activists. He tried to make the absurd claim that Hillary Clinton was the first presidential candidate in this uh, cycle to talk about sentencing reform, which would be news to Rand Paul and, and Ted Cruz <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and a bunch yeah. of other people. Um, but he also was trying to take credit for all of it. The thing is, Hillary Clinton, who was attached to Bill Clinton, was definitely working a lot in in the political uh, sphere, the Clintons back then used crime as a triangulating thing. Bill Clinton suspended his campaign to execute a retard. Uh, you know, that was part of what we needed to that's, do. That's really going to come back to bite you. Why? That you, sentence? Why? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to make him. I'm going to make it my ringtone because, you know, I'm just going to say <laughs> oh my God. it's just not. Camille, who is sensitive to absolutely nothing, <laughs> has his head in his hands. You know, do you I, know they bleep that out on uh, Fox now. What? Retard. Well, Gavin uh, McInnes, our uh, our great, great uh, friend, uh, was uh, was on, I think, a red eye or Kennedy or something. And uh, he said, retard. They, they bleeped him. Yeah, huh. yeah, you're not yeah. supposed to say that. Fox, I said Fox isn't the most PC place. I, I thought either. I thought that you could like at least uh, do the the tarred suffix. No, yeah. no, you can't even do that anymore. No, I no, you can't. I don't I'm know. A, I don't know I'm the just, rules. Yeah. They're, they're only words to me. Though I, I'm, not, I, I'm not really offended or anything. I'm, I think yeah, it's fine. I'm a little bit offended. <laughs> and, and you know what? And you know what? <laughs> I'm kidding. You know I'm what? Kidding. Convention is one thing, Matt Welch. It's um, intent. Circumstance and intent matter more to me. Uh, look, I think this is this is incredibly stimulating. I think it's really, really important. I also think that I am completely and totally right about this. Um, I think <laughs> I think that most people talk about this stuff in the wrong way. And, and I can't honestly like it put me in a bad mood today, like mm. reading those opinion pieces and seeing people talk about these issues in this way puts me in a bad mood. My wife um, is probably um, just rejoicing right now that I'm able to vent yeah. a little bit here and not take this out on her. Um, not by by beating her or anything. I just talk about <laughs> she, it a lot. This thing's really falling home. apart. Wow. I yeah. just can't believe it. I would, when, well, by the way, when I am the kind of sensible person, you know, it's just gone off the rails. I'm just saying that I'm not taking yeah. it out on yeah, her, and yeah, I wanted yeah. to make certain that it was I don't, clear that I don't think violence against women thought, is wrong. Yeah, I don't think anyone. There would are some run people who might. Thought, there are maybe. some people who might. But yeah. I, but but I but we can pull back from this, and I'm I'm sure we'll you know. Approach it's just the issue Camille. Again. It's just, and I'll I'll end on this, and we can go, go, to, go to, to to the the, the everyone's favorite um, uh, segment. Some <laughs> idiot wrote this, but um, I I will just say this is that these pieces drive me crazy because nobody pushes back on them because nobody wants to. Yeah, it's too dangerous to. It's too dangerous. Like I worry about even saying these obvious numbers that should be considered alongside the shooting numbers. The I when, when when you know the Times is a piece that Chicago's. Cops are all racist. You know, you don't want to paint with that broad of a brush. It's not helpful in about a thousand different ways. But it's it's moral posturing to people to tell you, like, and I'm on the side of the good guys. And unfortunately, it gets us nowhere. So, Matt, yeah. some idiot wrote something this week, and you got annoyed by it. So, it's, I think somebody said some something. idiot said something. Okay. Uh, okay. Bill Nye, the science guy, the taxpayer funded uh, science guy on PBS. Uh, uh, in the 90s and, and elsewhere, bow tie. He was asked about a bunch of attorneys general who are going after uh, places like the Competitive Enterprise Institute and everything because of their uh, supposed ties to ExxonMobil and therefore their ties to global warming denialism. So he was asked about uh, Robert F. Kennedy's, uh, who's a, a, an insane person, 
uh, his uh, ideas that maybe we should, you know, kind of lock people up for their global yeah. warming denialism. Here's what he does love Hugo Chavez. This is not a surprise. He does. Uh, it makes uh, it makes uh, commercials for him. Bill Nye says, as a taxpayer and voter, the introduction of this extreme doubt about climate change is affecting my quality of life oh, as a public citizen. So I can see where people are very concerned about this and that they're pursuing criminal investigations as well as engaging in discussions. He's saying it's okay to prosecute people for climate change denialism. That's crazy. He's the science guy. Uh, We had uh, Bill uh, on the Independence. uh, Shout out to the Independence. Hashtag uh, something or other um, uh, for those of you who are. (laughs) Hashtag something or other. Uh, We had Bill Nye on and it was a a very illuminating thing. It actually reminded me a lot of uh, Bernie Sanders' crazy answer about uh, uh, how are you going to get energy if you ban everything uh, from last night. Bill Nye comes on the Independence, and you could see it in his brain thinking, this is a Fox show, so they are denialists, and I'm going to say that they you know, are, are terrible knuckle-draggers. So we go out, uh, out, of the, uh, out of the shoot saying, all right, Bill, all three of us think that man is contributing to climate change. So what do you think about what are some trade-offs that we can do with policy? He had no idea. Yeah. He had to, we're like, OK, so if you cut growth from three percent a year to two percent a year, is that a good trade off? He didn't he didn't even know how things get done. He had mm-hmm. no answers. The only thing he wants to talk about are heretics. And he apparently wants to lock them up, uh, which is insane. I mean, here's the thing about this is that, you know, I am like from everything that I've read about this, that it, it's clear that Bill Nye is right on this issue and people like CEI, I think, are wrong on this issue. I'm not, I'm, of course, not a scientist, but, you know, the way you, and these kind of things, I'm not a doctor either, but when I go to the doctor, I trust him because he's telling me something that 99% of other doctors are also telling me. Stop shooting up. That is, that is, (laughs) yeah, they all say that. I I got a guy named Carl Hart who's going to tell me that it's fine, though. Um, You can Google that reference, by the way, and you'll, Camille will come up. Um, But here is the thing that that drives me um, crazy about this, is that, you know, if, even if he's right, et cetera, and even if there is a, a negative effect of, by the way, just put the point, point this out. The people who are denying climate change are not the people that are making the world think or Americans think that climate change doesn't exist. That is going to make everyone say, are you kidding, Moynihan? Well, no, because one person, two people said that, you know, Saddam Hussein was behind the 9-11 attacks and that 99 percent of Americans decided that the problem is actually Americans are kind of dumb about these things and they don't want it to be true. They'll will it to not be true. But the problem again is, is where does one stop in this? Yesterday, Robert De Niro, great actor, lazy thinker, is on the Today Show lamenting the fact that he canceled an anti um, vaccination documentary from his own film festival. He was pressured mm-hmm. into this, and he said, I, I think it's the wrong decision. It was Andrew Wake, Wakefield, who's a crackpot uh, doctor, discredited, says the MMR jab causes autism. It doesn't. Nobody believes this. No scientists believe this. He's been discredited. The study's been discredited. He's basically been fired. He's a gastroenterologist, by the way. So he has this movie, and then, you know, on TV the other day, you have De Niro saying, no, I have a son with autism. I think this should be, I think this is very compelling. And I think people, everyone should should watch this documentary, which is amounts to a very soft but very firm endorsement of that view. Should we arrest Robert De Niro for being famous and having that big of a platform and spreading scientific lies that actually have an effect on people's health? That sounds like a pretty cool plan. You imagine the perp walk? Yeah. You arrested me? Yes. Well, so but, but, but let's just give me the gent from Goodfellas. <laughs> well, let's just go on the record. The answer is no. No, no we shouldn't. We shouldn't. We, we yes. confront. We confront all bad speech, be it just people exactly. who are lying or whatever the hell else, with more speech exactly and, right. and correct, uh, correctly calibrated speech. Uh, I, I honestly, my feelings and sensibilities about global warming are not particularly strong. I have not paid much attention to to the evidence and the arguments um, on on either side. Uh, I've read a little bit uh, from people I trust who are less uh, concerned and I've read more from people I trust who are a great deal more concerned. What I am into is the whole Copenhagen consensus of it all. The notion that in order to try to do something about climate change, we do have to give things up. And I was I was heartbroken, honestly, when we met Bill Nye on the show because I grew up watching the science guy and I mm-hmm. expected him to be thoughtful and interesting. And when he came in, he was immediately ready to fight us. And when we pushed him and suggested, well, Bill, you know, this is going to make someone worse off if they can't use these cheap sources of power that, yeah, 
emit carbon, but it's making their lives better. Like, what do we do about those trade-offs? And he'd never thought about it. That it, lack of curiosity, super frustrating. And and didn't acknowledge that there possibly could be trade-offs. Yeah. Which is total which you, which you magical have to. thinking. Even if you think that the sea levels will rise and New York will be underwater, you have to acknowledge the trade-offs. And that we're projecting that that'll happen like 100 years from now when we'll have all sorts of really cool stuff like flying Teslas and cities that we can apparently just lift off, uh, lift off the face of the earth with rockets. Do we have time for, did, a, did you just go totally insane? I, in the yeah, last minute? I did. I did. I was trying <laughs> to paint a picture of the future, but the future is so much greater <laughs> yeah. than I could possibly imagine yeah. that I just, it was a line of nonsense. just a thousand Kanye yeah. West faces. in the sky. <laughs> could you saying, imagine? Camille, come on up. Uh, well, I can do this in a minute. Do so it. we have a minute left. And um, some idiot wrote and said this, the mayor of West Hollywood. We might as well call this parting shot. Uh, part, this is the parting shot. Yeah. The mayor of West Hollywood decided that Donald Trump was not allowed to speak in West Hollywood. She would not approve any permits because she is the Joseph Stalin of <laughs> West Hollywood and said, we don't want him here. My favorite thing about this. Okay, you can't do that, number one. Get a little niggling detail called the First Amendment. That's the first thing. The second thing is the two things that she said about this. One, uh, what about free speech, Madam Mayor? This is not free speech. This is hate speech, which is this great rote line that people say. And respond to this, dear uh, listeners. Hate speech is not a legal category in the United States. You wanted, you want hate speech? Move to Belgium, okay? Because we don't have it here. That's the first thing. The second thing, she said, why don't we want Donald Trump in our neighborhood? Because we value diversity. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Think about that for a second. Now, the caveat always has to be thrown in there. I think Donald Trump is the most loathsome, lowest piece of pond scum on the planet and the worst candidate that I could remember. And everything he stands for, I loathe. <laughs> but he, I, one would definitionally say that his voice added to the din of stupidity in West Hollywood would increase the diversity. Thank you, Matt. And thank you, Camille. Thank you, Michael Moynihan. Wow. Wow. Well, another another fantabulous show yeah. uh, in the books here. Couldn't be happier to have spent this time with you people. Uh, check us out at wethefifth.com. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, and we'll be back in a week. Or follow something. us on uh, Twitter. It's uh, We The Fifth. At We The Fifth. Yes. All, all right. right. Yeah, just come back. <laughs> That's all we want. Just come back. The fifth call.